I asked you last week, are you saved? And here's one way you know is, do you want to serve God? Do you have the desire every single day to serve God? Now some of you, you just have the desire to just try to be a good person. That's not salvation. Some of you have the desire to do your best. That's not salvation. Some of you have the desire to have the desire to serve God. Some of you in here still wish, you still wish for the want to serve God. You know what I mean? You, you still, you want to want to serve God, but you don't yet. A lot of you in here today, um, you, you, have the desi- you, you have the desire to have the desire to serve God. And that happens after, you don't have to change your desires, God does that for you. He does it for you. And I told you at the beginning of this series that I was going to preach on grace until I was confident that everyone in our church is saved. And I'm, I'm not confident of that. And, I, and I, I know this is not the way to open up a proper motivational uh, sermon, but if, um, if you had a bomb in your car, and, I, I, and we, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sure you have a bomb, I don't know if you do, but I think, wouldn't you want me to tell you, hey, there's, I, I think there's a bomb in your car, you don't need to go to your car. You would say, you must love me, thank you so much for telling me that. But when you tell somebody, I don't think you're saved, they get really upset. And I don't want you to be upset. I want you to really check yourself and test yourself to see, do you have the desire to serve Jesus? Because if your greatest desire in life is to serve yourself, you're not saved. And today in part eight, the conclusion, which is supposed to be the conclusion, is amazing grace. Amazing grace. And grace is absolutely amazing. It is amazing. Only the grace of God can take a slave ship owner... I mean, he's, 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 he owns a ship full of slaves, transporting them from one place to another. Only the grace of God can get a hold of that man, John Newton, and give him the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. One of our problems when it comes to American salvation is that we don't think we're a wretch. We think, well, you know what? I know I need to get saved. I'm okay. I, I definitely need to get saved. I'm just not that horrible of a person. You're a horrible person. In fact, 90% of the Bible is not who you are in Christ. 90% of the Bible is who you are apart from Christ. You and I are horrible people apart from Jesus Christ. When you think you're an okay person, you're not that bad, you're not comparing yourself to God. You're comparing yourself to the people around you or society or what you saw online or what you see on TV. And you see stuff on TV and you think, well, I'm not as bad as them. Don't, the, the Bible, you're not judged by people on TV. You're judged by the Word of God. Only the grace of God can take the greatest enemy of the church, Saul, who's on his way to murder other Christians. Only the grace of God can knock him off of his horse, blind him for three days, and take the greatest enemy of the church and turn him into the greatest asset that the Christian church has ever seen since the days of Jesus Christ, from Saul to Paul. Only the grace of God can take a world-renowned rapper, who wrote a song a few years ago proclaiming that he's a God and turn him into one of the world's greatest evangelists today with a number one album called Jesus is Lord. Only the grace of God can do that. Kanye West. Only the grace of God can. uh, You're my Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday. (laughs) You're my chick. Okay, so only the grace of God can do that. That's my rapping right there. That's as much... After that, I wrap presents. That's all I wrap after that. Only the grace of God can, and listen, and the grace of God can do that for you, and the grace of God can do that for your children, 
And the grace of God can do that for the people you work with. Only the grace of God can do that. Only the grace of God. Nothing that you work can do that. Nothing you, you can't conjure up some, some phrase. Nothing, my sermon can't do that for people. Only the grace of God can do that for somebody. And we've had 48 salvations, and I'm very excited about that, but I want more. I want you so bad to be on fire for Jesus Christ. I want you so bad to have this overwhelming desire every day to read something in your Bible. Something. I want you so bad to be excited about serving in church. Not attending, but serving. I want you to be so excited to give to the kingdom of God financially. And I think a lot of you in here, you also want that desire. And you want some supernatural event to happen. And a lot of you have this thought in you. If an angel would appear to me, or if God would speak to me audibly, then, man, I'd be on fire. I'd be telling people about Jesus at work. I'd be, I'd be telling people about Jesus out in public. I, I'd be witnessing it. I'd be inviting people to church. Listen, here's something supernatural. Grace. The fact that you have a free gift to go to heaven, that is supernatural. That's greater than any angel that could ever appear to you. That's greater than any miracle that could ever happen. That's a miracle. Grace is absolutely amazing. And I think one of our problems with salvation is we've Americanized it. Um, we are so used to a democracy. We think that we get a vote in life. That's the way we, we were born and raised in America. We get a vote, right? And if we don't like something, we don't have to do it. If something offends us, then hey, we're not going to do it. And if something doesn't line up with what we want, they must be wrong. That's how America is right now. In fact, we are so, um, and I don't mean Democratic as in, as in Republican Democratic. I mean Democratic in our government. We have such a democracy, we can actually change words in the dictionary. From what marriage was, we can completely change a word in the English dictionary we can change a word if we don't like it to mean something else that is how um, that is how um, Americanized our salvation is the Bible was a theocracy or a, a monarchy and England is not an absolute monarchy in Great Britain is a, a parliamentary monarchy that means the king or queen their authority is given to them by the parliament the Bible and what you read in the Bible it's an absolute monarchy what that means is the king of kings is in charge we don't get a vote when our life is turned over to Him, He is in charge. Amen. We're not. We don't get to say, well, that offended me, so I'm not going to do that. We don't get to say, well, that would be a sacrifice, so I'm not going to do that. What the King says goes, or theocracy, what God says goes. And so we have this, we, and other countries aren't like this. When someone gets saved in another country, they don't think, well, I get to go to heaven and I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll do what God wants me to do. Sometimes I won't. If I feel like it, maybe. No, no, no. When other countries, when they get saved, they know the King of kings and the Lord of lords is governor over my life. Even the word Lord, we think, well, Jesus is my friend. Yes, he's your friend, but if you're saved, he's your Lord. He's not just your buddy. He's your Lord. That means there's going to be sometimes he's going to ask you to do something that doesn't feel good, but you do it anyway. It means he's going to ask you to go talk to somebody or witness to someone or dance or sing or whatever. And you think, well, I just haven't had a good day today, so I'm not going to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't get a say. Your life was bought with a price. This is a long introduction to a sermon, isn't it? What am I talking about? What are we doing? Okay. I don't know what we're doing. Okay. Here's what I did. <laughs> I didn't mean to say all that. Um, so... Listen, I, 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 I did some research and I discovered that by the time I'm done preaching, from the beginning of my sermon to the end of my sermon, 6,000 people will die on earth. 
in this, in this short three-hour sermon today, 6,000 people, <laughs> in this 30 minutes, 6,000 people are going to die. Now, if you happen to be one of those 6,000, where are you going to go when you die? Don't base it on, 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 on one of my sermons. Don't base it on what you saw on TV. Don't base it on what your mom and daddy told you. What between you and God Almighty, if you're one of these 6,000, where are you going to go? Let me tell you who needs grace in this room. If you battle shame, you need more grace in your life. If you are perfection-oriented, in other words, you're perfectionist, you can't make a mistake. You just can't, and you can't let anybody know you make a mistake. And you got to put on a front, you need more grace. Because perfectionists, it's all about them. Uh, one thing I battled was performance-oriented. In other words, I used to be, and, and sometimes I still battle this, where um, my self-worth comes from what other people think about me. If they think I did a good job, then I'm a good person. If you battle that, you need more grace because it's not about you. It's not about me. If, um, if you battle, if you, if you don't have grace for people in your life, you need more grace because you can't give away what you don't have. You need more grace. You, we, we, need, we need saving grace, sustaining grace. We need finishing grace. We might have started with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we think, well, now that I'm saved, now, now watch what I can do. Watch how far I can grow. Watch what, what I can become in church. You need more grace because it's not about you. I know that's not the best introduction for a sermon, telling you that you might be going to hell, but I love you, and I want you so bad to be on fire for Jesus. So number one today is this. Grace is unmerited. Grace is unmerited. Romans 6.23, here's what you actually merit. I don't know if you understand this or not. Like they have merit badges in, in Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, what you've earned, what you've, what you've accomplished. Um, you actually merit death. Every one of you and me, we merit death. We merit hell. But there's a free gift. A fr Everybody say free. free. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's free. Now, if you examine my life, you will discover that I have merit badges of pride. I have merit badges of lust. I have merit badges of envy. I have merit badges of bitterness. And all of those merit badges give me free access into hell. But thank God for the free gift of Jesus Christ in my life that because of what He did, not because of what I did, what, what He did, I have access into heaven if I want to receive that gift. It's like God put a billion dollars in your bank account. All you have to do is withdraw it. And some of you still haven't withdrawn it. Some of you are still trying to earn the money. Some of you are still trying to think, I don't know if I want to you know, give my life for this. No matter, listen, your life, what, what God gives you in return for your life is much more than you could ever get on your own. Um, the, 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 grace, the grace battle is the, is, the, is the greatest theological argument all over the world, all over the internet. Since the first century, since the I've, I've had people in my ministry, they've come to me with all these... They think they're revelations on grace. Listen, there's nothing new. People have been arguing grace since the first century. That's why Paul wrote most of the New Testament, because of the argument on grace. Most Here's what ministers, and listen, all during this eight-week series, I've emailed ministers around the world asking questions. Is it once saved, always saved? Like, you know, you get saved, are you always saved no matter what you do? Or is it you get saved, but you can lose your salvation because of doing something wrong? Can you lose it? Can you deny it in your actions? And you know what? Every, every pastor says yes to both of those. It's, it's interesting, and they argue it different ways and that kind of thing. So 
I'll tell you what I think. Is it once saved, always saved? Or is it you get saved and you can lose your salvation? Let me tell you the story that I think of anytime someone brings up grace. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, it's the book of Hosea. And um, Hosea at the time was the prophet of God. In other words, uh, this, was not, this was before Jesus died and rose again. So the Holy Spirit was not available to people like you and me. So you had to go and find the prophet. And Hosea was the prophet. And Hosea was walking along the town one day. And he looks over on the side of the street and he sees a prostitute. And he just doesn't think anything of it. He sees her and then he keeps walking. And God speaks to him and says, Hosea, I want you to take that prostitute and marry her. Hosea says, what you, what, what, what you did that, you know, what's the, from a different stroke? What you talking about, Jesus? You know, what you And he's, God said, I want you to marry her. And here's the thing is, is the prostitute had a bunch of children with a bunch of men who she didn't even know who the fathers were. God said, and I want you to listen to the metaphor. God said, Hosea, I want you to father those fatherless children. I want you to adopt those children. Now, if y'all seen the movie Pretty Woman, I know you have, right? My wife, I told you, she's a lot younger than me. She had never seen the movie. And so, I know. And so, um, so I made her watch the movie a few weeks ago. She hated it. She didn't even like Julia Roberts. I know. I said that too. You tell her, shame, shame. But you think Pretty Woman, get, get the, no, Pretty Woman came out of the Bible. Just, I'm telling you this. And so Hosea sees the prostitute and he takes her as his wife and he takes such good care of her. Now, her name was not Julia. Uh, her name was not Catherine. I think that was Julia Roberts saying the movie. Her name was Gomer. Now, before I make any jokes, are there any women in here who have the name Gomer or your daughter or mother's name Gomer? Okay, good. So, listen, I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care how sexy woman you are. If you ever say, well, golly, that, that's, that you're going to lose whatever, you know, whatever, whatever boyfriend you got, you're going to lose it. So don't do that and change your name from Gomer to something else. But anyway, and so her name was Gomer. And so he takes her as his wife, and they just fall in love. And he takes such good care of this woman, and he fathers her fatherless children, and she gives him two children of their own, and she's married to a man of God, and it's her greatest dream. She never imagined she would have all this. Never imagined. And one day, for some reason that I will not understand in her life, I understand why I've made this decision. I understand why maybe some of you have made this decision. I don't know why she missed it, but she decided for some reason after she had all of that love and all of that given to her, and she did nothing to earn it, for some reason, she went back into prostitution. For some reason, she turned her back on her family and everything God had done for her, and she walked away from that and went back out to the streets. And it broke Hosea's heart. Broke his heart. But this time she didn't just go to become a prostitute. This time she became a sex slave. Where she was beaten and tortured and abused just for money. And at one point after a season of this, they put her on the slave market up on the block, up there in front of everyone in the town. And I'd imagine she's unclothed and she's covering herself up. I'd imagine she's looking down, probably crying. Has a black eye, blood coming down from her face. She's been abused, tortured. She's disgusting, filthy. I mean, just horribly treated. You can't even imagine. And the men are bidding the most lowest amounts possible. In modern day, they'd be saying, I'll give you $1.50. $2. And she's thinking in her mind, I can't believe I went back to this. What was wrong with me? Why would I have ever turned my back on that man of God in my life who took such good care of me and loved me? And I've left everything good to go back to this life. What is wrong with me? And the men are bidding $2, $2.50. And Hosea is walking through the town again one day. 
and he hears some commotion going on, and he looks over, and he sees his former wife, the one who he gave his life for. And she's completely naked and covering herself up, and tears are coming down her eyes, and she hears these men laughing, spitting, screaming these low amounts of money to buy her back. And God says, Hosea, I want you to buy her back. Hosea says, God, what are you talking about? She left me. She turned her back on me. I gave her everything and she walked out on us. God said, you buy her back. And Hosea thought, okay, it's only going to cost me three or four dollars. God says, you give everything. Hosea pulls out his cell phone. He looks at all of his assets, get all of his bank ready. He noticed he had about $10,000 total. That's is everything he owned was $10,000. Everything. Hosea says, God, are you sure? God says, I am so sure. I've never been more sure of anything. And Hosea, from the back of the crowd, he screams out, $10,000. And Gomer, she hears a voice she knew from the past. There's a hush among the crowd. She looks up. Her eyes are so welt with tears she can barely even see. Hosea says it again, $10,000. As he begins to walk towards the stage, the crowd parts like the Red Sea. He stands in front of his former bride. I imagine he takes his robe off and probably puts it over her. Instead of taking her by the hand, I can picture him picking her up as if she was a virgin on their wedding night. And he carries her back through the crowd, giving everything he had again to win this woman back. And God says, Hosea, you tell my people, that's what I do for them. No matter how many times they turn their back on me, no matter how far they try to hide, you can hide on the streets, you can hide in the bars, you can hide in church. And God says, I will never stop pursuing you. Never I will buy you back over and over and over and over and over again. So the question, once saved, always saved, or saved and you lost your salvation, forget that. Here's the question. Why would you not turn your life back over to Him? It, who cares if once saved or you lost it? Forget it. If you're not saved, why would you not want to give your life to Him? Someone that loves you that much. God is not mad at you. God is madly in love with you. Why would you not want to surrender your life to this person who loves you so unconditionally that you can spit in his face? And here's the problem. We don't understand. We're Gomer. See, you think, well, I'm not that bad. Do you know how many times you have sold yourself to this world? Do you know how many times you've turned your back on God with the decisions you've made, with the thoughts that you think? See, you think, well, I'm not Gomer. No, we are, we are worse than Gomer. We are completely filthy from the world the world has utterly destroyed us and we think well I know I need to get saved but I'm not that bad no you are bad you are a bad dude we need Jesus Amen. number two is this grace is undeserved grace is undeserved Hebrews 4 16 come boldly and confidently to God's throne where we may receive mercy do we receive mercy for our strengths and for our successes? Why do we go to God's throne? Tell me. So we can receive mercy for what? For failures. And undeserved grace. Undeserved, undeserved grace to help in time of need. 
Um, I read a, 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 a story, it's a true story, and you can look at it online. It was in the newspapers. Um, it happened about 10 years ago in, uh, is it Duluth, Georgia? Duluth, Duluth, whatever, Horry County. It's, um, so this 21-year-old kid, he was a good kid. He was saved, born again. He went to church. His family served in church. But when he was 21 years old, uh, his buddies, I'm not going to say friends because it was not friends, it was buddies, talked him into going drinking. And, man, they drank and they drank and they drank. 21st birthday, they got him drunk as a skunk. They're uh, driving around drunk in Georgia um, at nighttime, wee hours of the morning, and they pull on the side of the road and there's a telephone pole. And so they all dare the kid, 21 year to climb the telephone pole. And he's drunk as a skunk. And so he climbs this telephone 40 feet in the air. It's the kind that had the, the metal thing sticking out on the side. When he gets to the, at the top, he turns around to you know, show off and everything, and he falls from the telephone pole, which would have 100% been a sudden death. As he falls about 35 feet up, his pants get caught on one of the bars sticking out the side of the telephone pole, and he's hanging there, dangling. He passes out from being so drunk and the adrenaline and all, and his buddies take off and leave. Two hours, you can read in the paper, two hours he hangs there till somebody finally sees him, calls the fire department, and gets him down. If you look at the story online, you know people can comment on newspaper articles. I'm not going to say the words they said. I'll, I'll say church words in place of it. But they say, you know, what a stupid, what an idiot, what a dummy. How can you know, on and on. It goes, the newspaper headline read this. Pants save drunk man from death. I have a question. How many of you, by a show of hands, since you've been saved, not before you got saved, since you've been saved, how many of you have done something incredibly stupid in your life. Raise your hand. Look at all the stupid people. I mean, all the good people in this church. Okay. You better hope grace covers that or we're all going to hell. You know, one of the, <laughs> they said, you know, what an idiot, what a dummy. One person said, I bet his pants were brown by the time the fire department got there. I have, you know, the scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins. I have a saying, and that is this, grace covers a multitude of stupidity. It covers a multitude of stupidity. I mean, the stupidest things you... Now, I don't, you, this doesn't mean... Well, my pastor said that I can, do, I can get drunk and do whatever I want to do and God will save me. That's not what your pastor said. Your pastor said that when you're saved, you strive every day to honor God, relying on Him, not you relying on Him, but along the way, we do stupid things that we need His grace for. Everybody said amen for stupid things, right? Okay, so number three is this. Grace is unearned. Grace is unearned. Romans 3.23. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all. I just want you to see how it's for everyone. I don't care if you're Muslim, Hindu. I don't care what, what uh, flesh patterns you have. It is for everyone who wants it. And we talked about believe last week. For all, now this all here is not talking about non-believers. It is, but we know that. It's talking about the sentence before. This is for people who are righteous through faith in Jesus. For all of them, all of them have sinned and fall short from 40-foot telephone poles of the glory of God and all are justified freely, everybody say freely, by His grace. Now I'm going to teach you what the word grace, where the word grace came from, okay? In the Greek, 
Uh, the word grace is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. I teach you Greek words because I know how much you enjoy them. Um, Greek, now, the, in Greek, the C is silent, and so the word is actually haris. And I think the R is supposed to be rolled a little bit. You can ask Dr. Lonnie after church, but it's, I think it's haris. Now, back, back in the 80s and 90s, people were naming their little girls charis because it meant grace. And so if you have a little girl named Karis, you don't have to start calling her Haris. You can keep calling her Karis. And if you're, if you're pregnant with Erica, she can name her baby Karis. And they can do that because their last name is not Maddox. But if your last name is Maddox, you don't want to name your child Karis because then her name would be Karis Maddox. That's right. Okay. So just make sure we all understand. Okay. So Karis. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so the word Haris. So let me tell you about Haris. Uh, now, this was a cultural word before it was a biblical word. It's very important you understand that. It'd be like if the Bible was written in, in our time right now in English, and, and it used the word uh, radical. That's, that's a cultural word. So God chose a cultural word to use as his word for grace in Greek when the New Testament was written. Um, it's, it, it, it refers to a gift from a superior to an inferior. Now, just the gift from a superior to inferior, just that gift is actually the word benevolence or benevolent. It involves two people. And we have a benevolence ministry here at Solid Rock where we, where we give people money who need it and help. Okay. But the word haris or grace, it's a transaction just like that, but it involves three people. It has to do with an, a superior or a patron who has some goods. It has to do with an inferior or a client who is in need. And the third person involved, the best English word that we can come up with, is the word broker. The way it worked was, is the broker would go out into public, and the broker was very wealthy. He or she would look and find an inferior, find a client in need. For instance, the broker would go to an orphanage and find some children. They need new shoes. Okay, how many shoes? You need 12 pairs of shoes. Okay, so the broker would then leave the orphanage and go find the superior patron a shoe owner, a shoe shop owner, and here's how many shoes I need, you know, on and on. And so the, the broker would bring the superior together with the inferior, would bring the patron together with the client. But here's what you need to understand. This is so amazing about this cultural word. The broker would actually pay for the goods between the superior and the inferior. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus is the broker. And Jesus went to us and said, oh man, y'all are in need. You need God in your life. And then the broker goes to God and says, listen, there's some people that are in need of what you have. And God says, well, it's going to cost a lot. And the broker said, well, how much is it going to cost? I'll pay whatever it is. It's going to cost a perfect sacrifice. And the broker said, you know what? I'll take care of it. And the broker stepped down paid for what we needed and brought the patron together with the client so that you and I can have a relationship with God. Jesus paid for it and that word is the word that actually meant grace in the original Greek language. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. Grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. It was, it's free, but it costs something. It costs the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It costs something. You didn't have to pay it all you got to do is receive it. That's all you got to do. Um, Romans eleven six says this. It says, um, if it is grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. 
Uh, let me say it like this. It's not grace plus something. It's not grace minus something. Uh, let me say this. It, it's not 99% Jesus and 1% you. If it was, then you would also be amazing, and you and I are not that amazing. Grace is amazing. John Paul is not amazing. It's not 99.9% .9 Jesus and 0.1% John Paul, and that's how I get to heaven. It is 100% Jesus. If I was to change the words in this scripture, if I was to change grace to free, because it's free, if I was to change works to earned, because works, in other words, works, if your boss comes to you at the end of the week and says, you've done such a good job working, I want to give you a gift. And you think, oh, a gift? And he says, here's your paycheck. You say, um, that, that's not a gift. I work for that. I know, but I want to give it to you as a gift. Buddy, it's not a gift. I work for it. But if you had a bad attitude, you showed up late, and you had some words, and you were gossiping about the boss, and then he comes to you and says, here's a $10,000 gift, you would say, oh, goodness, thank you so much. What can I do for you? Because that's a gift. You understand? Okay, so if it's free, then it is no longer earned. Otherwise, free would no longer be free. You understand? It's not free and a little bit earned. It's completely free. Now, a lot of you have not received this free gift, but it's free. Jesus plus nothing and Jesus minus nothing equals salvation. It's not, it's not, it's not, okay, let me, let me say this. <laughs> you can't even, you don't even have the breath to say Jesus be my Lord without His grace already being in your life. His grace has been pursuing some of you since you were children. I mean children. He has been pursuing and tugging at you. I mean, just, just, just pouring out His goodness in your life. Why would you not want to surrender everything you have? So here's the question for today. Here's what we end with. What do I do with all this? What do I do with everything I've heard over the past eight weeks? What do I do? I want to read you Luke chapter 11. Jesus gives three parables in Luke 11. Okay, I've shortened it because for time. I'm going to read the parables, and there's a... Uh, there's a, an equation in there, okay? There's something you need to figure out because I'm going to ask you a question at the end of the third parable, okay? So here's the, two, here's the three parables. Ready? Luke 15. If you had a hundred sheep and one of them stayed straight away, wouldn't you leave the 99 to search for the lost one? Then you would call your friends together to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. Okay, that's the first one. Second parable. A woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and search every corner of the house until she finds it? And then she will call her friends to rejoice with her. The third parable is the parable of the, um, the prodigal son. Okay? A man had two sons. We know the parable. The younger son left. And the Bible says the father searched for him every day. And when he finally returned home, his father saw him and rejoiced. So, when you accept Jesus as your Lord, all of heaven rejoices. That's basically what these parables are saying. God rejoices, heaven rejoices. Do you know that we were born with an inward desire to have favor with the creator of the universe? You were born with this. God's been pulling at your heart through sunsets, sunrises, mountain trees, stars, words, friends, parents... Um, I mean, everything, I'm mean, just the Holy Spirit, angels have been involved in your life. He's been pulling at you. And you have this desire to have a relationship and favor with God. 
What's the first thing somebody does when they find what they've been searching for? Well, what, what do they do? Okay, that's actually not what they do. The first thing you do when you find what you've been looking for is you stop looking for it. We even have this really weird cultural saying that says, I know it'll be in the last place I look for. Well, duh, of course it'll be. I can tell you that for the rest of your anything. It'll be in the last place you look for it, okay? The reason a lot of believers don't rejoice during our time of worship is because they're still looking for favor with God. The reason a lot of believers don't rejoice during our time of giving is they're still looking for peace with God. The reason a lot of believers don't serve during our time of serving and they're not excited about it and so I just can't wait to serve God. I'm just so excited. The reason they're not rejoicing is because they're still searching. And I'm here to tell you today, you found it. You found it. All you got to do is receive it. You found it. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. So, here's how I'm concluding the eight-week sermon. Because, man, I just wish y'all could... I wish y'all could be there with me when I'm studying and praying because I'm just like, God, I want them to be on fire. I want them to be so excited to come to church. I want them to be so excited to invite people and tell people about you and God. I just... And I, and I think about so many of y'all during the week. I literally think about you. I mean, I just, I really, I pray for you. I love you. And I think in my head, I want so bad. Like, I want them to be, I want them, I want, I want, I want them to be so excited that no matter what emotions lie to them, they're depressed. It doesn't matter. They're offended. It doesn't matter. I want you so bad to just be so in love with God. And I don't think that I am a, a good enough public speaker to describe how good grace actually is. So to conclude the sermon series, um, I have a picture of what grace actually looks like. And I think it's the greatest picture you'll ever see of grace. And I think it surpasses anything I could ever say. And so let me tell you about it first. Um, in 1962, Dick and Judy Hoyt had a son. His name was Rick. Rick was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He's never been able to walk never been able to talk. But his parents decided they were going to do everything they could to give him um, as much of a normal life as they possibly could. When they got Rick in school at 10 years old, they discovered, in spite of him not being able to communicate, he was actually brilliant. He was so intelligent that scientists back in the 70s heard about how smart he was and they invented a computer for Rick to be able to communicate using his eyes and, and using his, his forehead. In fact, this computer, it started with Rick Hoyt, and now it's, you know, it's, of course it's updated and all around the world and everyone uses it, and even um, Superman, Christopher Reeve, I mean, just on and on the, the, the stories go. So when Rick was 15 years old, he heard about this um, 5K run they were having at his high school to benefit a teenager who got paralyzed during a sports game. And um, Rick, you know, hooked up with the computer. He told his dad, he said, I want to run in this marathon. I mean, he can't walk. He can't even walk, much less run. And so his dad, who was not an athlete, uh, he purchased a wheelchair that, you know, you can, like one of those jogging wheelchairs. His dad put a 100-pound 
sack of concrete in the wheelchair. And every day while his son was at school, his dad was training and training and training just to be able to do this 5K marathon. When the time finally came for the marathon, they ran the marathon. Everyone clapped and cheered. And the very first thing that Rick said through the computer after the race was this. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was alive when I was running. So his father continued to train. To this day, they've run 72 marathons and 257 triathlons. A triathlon is 2.4 miles of swimming, 26.2 miles of running, and 112 miles of bicycling, nonstop. This is a picture of grace. And God has been pushing you and pulling you and carrying you and dragging you. And at the end of the line, we may do like this when we get to heaven, but the only reason the only reason we will pass the finish line is because of Jesus. In fact, listen, I was going to say this. I was going to say, you know what? God's asking you to get in the chair today. God's asking you to let him pick you up and put you in the chair. You can't even get in the chair by yourself. And that is what grace is. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me today. Our prayer partners, come on up. Music team, come on up.